Episode 61, Elise Dharma on how to leverage Instagram for your online course. The Online Course Guy Podcast. Regular people are taking their knowledge and content and packaging it up in an online course and they're making a living doing it. Didn't you take some kind of course that covered this stuff? Check it out. It's a good course. It's a good class. Ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready? Here's the Online Course Guy. Jacques Hopkins. Hey, what's up, everyone? Jacques Hopkins here, coming at you with episode 61 of the Online Course Guy podcast. I chatted with Elise Dharma today on the episode, who is all about Instagram and has an online course on Instagram. She talked a lot about her online course, obviously, but also gave us some good tips on how to use Instagram for your online course. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a second, but first, let me tell you about Bonjoro, who's the sponsor of this podcast. With Bonjour, you can quickly and easily thank your customers when they buy your online course through a nice, simple, quick video. I highly recommend you use Bonjour if you have an online course or you want to have an online course. You can get started with a free 14-day trial at bonjour.com slash Jacques, and you can spell that last part like J-A-C-Q-U-E-S. All right, so it was just an absolute pleasure to get to talk to Elise, and this is going to be one of the longer episodes because we had a lot to talk about, and so there's a lot of great things that you can get out of this episode. But I have to say that my favorite thing was when we were talking about how she ended up creating or coming up with the topic for her online course, which she's she's just got a broad background. She was even a piano teacher for a time. And it's not like she wanted to create a course on Instagram for years and years and years. It's just that's one thing that she ended up being good at that there was a market for. So she ended up building her Instagram audience on her own personal profile to 60,000 followers over the course of a year. And even right after she did that, she wasn't like, okay, now I'm going to create a course on this. It was these people kept coming to her and was was like, how did you do that? How did you get 60,000 followers in a year? And so eventually she was like, okay, well, I guess it makes sense for me to make a course on this because it was her unique talent. It was something that was somewhat different and she knew how to do it. And there was a market for that. And all those three things aligned and has turned into a very, very successful online course. So like I said, plenty of great things to learn in this episode besides that. So let's get into it right now. Hey, Elise, thanks for joining me today. How are you? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for inviting me here, Jacques. Absolutely. You uh, you travel a lot. Where are you located now? I'm in my home office right now. I'm in Toronto. That's usually when I do my heads down work, interviews, recording type of stuff. So so on any given day, like what are the odds of catching you in your hometown versus traveling somewhere? They're higher than what you would probably think from my Instagram feed. My Instagram feed looks like I'm traveling 24-7. I know that I couldn't live out of a suitcase um, and I'm so not focused when I'm traveling. So when I do the math every year, I tend to be traveling over 100 days a year. So that's like a third ish of the year. So you have a one in three chance of catching me while I'm traveling. Cool. So look, first online course question. Uh huh. You do have a background in teaching piano. Yes. Did you ever, did it ever cross your mind to make an online course on piano? You know what? It has crossed my mind and I've mentioned it to my mom who was my piano teacher and she taught piano for like 20 something years. Um, 
And I told her, you know, mom, people are teaching piano online now. Can you believe that? Like, I can't even picture how that works because she and I are from the the age of you got a baby grand in your living room. You bring the students in the living room and you tell the rest of your family to be quiet while you are teaching a lesson. That was my teenage life. I, I started teaching when I was 13 and um, I, I cannot picture how you teach it online. <laughs> I should take your course just to see how you have translated that teaching through an online course. It, it blows my mind when I think about it. Yeah, yeah. I, I know a guy who's done it. So absolutely. Um, <laughs> so does that mean that your course is like PowerPoint with voiceover? Yeah, it's video training. So it's basically PowerPoints with vo- uh, voiceover and then workbooks and then um, templates and then a community where they can touch base with right, me right, right. and you can chat. No, I just want to compare that to basically what you were just saying about not believing how you would do a piano course. Cause I do want to take a deeper dive into your course here in a minute, but I will tell you that with, um, with, with courses that are based on like a physical thing, um, it's definitely different. You know, I had somebody on the show that teaches birding, and I love using that example because it's so random. I didn't even know what that was. And basically it's bird watching. And, you know, with her, like she actually has to get out there and have a camera outside and hope a bird even comes around while she's trying to film it. That's challenging. My piano's not moving, but I have like have to have like three different cameras on me, one of my foot and all that. It's it can yeah. be challenging. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Filming it, then the student mimics it. But um I would just be curious about how you keep your students accountable because people would pretty much pay me to be a teacher or the parents would pay me to force their kids to practice so that they weren't wasting their money each week in the lesson. So the accountability was the big part. That's what I'd be most curious about when it comes to piano. How do you keep your students accountable for Instagram? In my online course? Yes. Well, we have some celebration threads going on in our group, milestone markers, that sort of thing. I don't have any built-in quizzes or anything like that within the quiz or within the course, so that might be cool to explore. Um, there's a few check-in emails, stuff like that. I'm, I'm genuinely curious about that because I don't do much accountability. I, I have a couple of check-in emails, uh, mm-hmm. but anything fancier than that, I don't have, but I'd yeah, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing that could be applied to other niches of courses. Yeah, we should brainstorm because actually that reminds me, we do do challenges within our private community, like 30 day challenges, which just, you know, awakens everyone to keep posting, stay consistent, you know, see what everyone else is doing. So that's one aspect. But one thing I would love to look at doing is a gamification of sorts within the course. And that's probably what you and I are both going to need to brainstorm. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. So do you just have the one online course? I have two. What are they? So the first one is InstaGrowth Boss that teaches you Instagram growth and monetization, whether you want to be an influencer or you have a service-based business or you have an online product shop. So my background stems in those three fields. Um, so I decided, you know what, I'm not going to just help one type of person monetize. I'm going to help you if you fall into one of those three categories. And so that is my main course so far. And the second course, um, I just haven't, uh, put as much attention into it, but that's about to change soon. It's all about to change in a month or so. Um, the second course is called freelance business in a box. 
And that's really just to help you take your current skills that you have. For some people, it's Instagram marketing that they learn through another course and translate that into your own service-based business. That's pretty much a reflection of my own story. That's how I got started. I took my own skills. I turned it into my own service-based business. That's how I travel so much. So that's the second second course. All right. So the, But the first course you made was the Insta Growth Boss. Yes. All right. So walk me through the steps that led to you deciding you were going to make that course. How far back should we start? <laughs> um, okay. Start back to when I was a nine to five employee. A couple of years ago, I was working in social media marketing. Um, someone asked me if I could refer a marketing rock star to them. I put my, my name forward. That's how I got my first client. Within nine months, I quit my job and I was running my own client-based business full-time. Within a year, a year after that, I established an agency called Canopy. And I'd run my content marketing services through that agency. A couple years into living the uh, digital nomad life and being location independent, I got a little bored because I was one person making pretty much the same amount of money every year. And I thought, I need to grow this business. So my brilliant idea was I'm going to grow my personal Instagram as proof to clients as part of my portfolio that I can grow Instagram accounts. So this was the summer of 2016. I really focused on turning my name into a brand, a personal brand, which I wasn't at that point. I was hiding behind my agency brand, Canopy. And so I spent the summer focused on Instagram growth. I think by the end of summer, I have to double check my stats. I think I hit like 30,000 followers, had all this momentum. And what I realized was I was you know, creating a following of people who didn't want my e-commerce marketing services. They wanted to know how was I traveling so much? How did I have my own business? How was I growing on Instagram? So that's when the light bulb started going off and I hired my very first business coach. I kind of clued into this whole other world of business coaching because I knew there was something here, but I didn't know what to do with it. So I hired a business coach to help me figure out what to do with these questions people were asking me. So that's when I launched EliseDharma.com. That's when I started doing free trainings, free webinars, and and a free Facebook group. That was also a really good way to connect with people off of Instagram. Those who followed me into my Facebook group were like, like hardcore fans. And the Facebook group was glorious up until... 800, 1,000 1, members. It was amazing for market research and, and talking to people. So their number one request was Instagram growth. It wasn't, you know, I want to be my own, I want to be my own boss. I want to travel. It was how the heck are you growing? So it took a couple months, but I crafted a, I crafted the bones of the course and I then crafted a pre-launch plan to basically sell the idea before I invested in creating the course content. I had a good idea it would sell, but um, I was very apprehensive. I'm not, um, I, I, I don't know. I'm not that confident of a salesperson, but maybe more so now, now, but then I was very shy about putting myself out there or selling. So I crafted a pre-launch plan. We did a free five-day challenge Um, had a pop-up Facebook group, tons of momentum and excitement. And then I went live on the fourth day and I presented the the idea of the course so nervous and I shared the checkout link and um, Stripe sales, Stripe notifications started popping up on my phone and I literally felt sick. 
I was like, what have I just done here? You know, I need to deliver on what this promise is. And of course, my very first launch, those who bought in, I still almost remember like the first 10 people who bought in because they were putting their money down in their belief in me to deliver. And that was eye-opening. That was really eye-opening. I think that's why I was feeling sick because I didn't realize that people believed in me that much. And now it was time to deliver. So about 50 people joined me from that pre-launch. And then what I did was I ran the course live. So when this pre-launch period ended, I told them that the first module was going to be released on X date. That gave me about a week to make the content for that module. It was a marathon, a hustle. I got it out. Once the module went out for um, the first, first week, uh, as everyone was absorbing that content, I went on to make the next week's content. So I was, I was working a week ahead of myself. Ideally, I would have done a little bit more in advance than giving, giving myself a week, but I am a deadline-driven person, so I got it all done. Um, and yeah, after that first month, I was exhausted, but by the end of it, I had a course that was completed and students that were going through it and getting results. Thank you for sharing all of that. There's so many like little questions I want to ask about the, that process along the way. Um, let me just start real quick to get a better understanding of the time frame. What, like, what, what year or month and year was it when you were doing this pre-launch, getting ready to, to when you pre-sold the course? This was the beginning of 2017. Okay, so this is like barely a year old. Yes. The course itself had its one-year anniversary a couple months ago. All right. And how many sales have you made at this point? There are almost 500 students in the course now. Wow. Mm -hmm. Very cool. So you built your Instagram audience yourself. That's like kind of how you got started here. And eventually... You, there was a market for how do you do this? And that's why you made this course for people. But my question is like, how did you even know to begin with how to build an Instagram audience? How did I know to begin with an Instagram audience? No, not to begin. Like, how did you know how to build your Instagram audience? Like, if uh, I wanted to build mine, I could just take your course. Your course right. didn't exist when you were trying to build yours. Right. I don't know if any course existed then. <laughs> now, you got plenty of options. Um, it was trial and error and it was spending years learning it, if I'm going to be honest. I mean, I got my very first client for, um, what year was it? It was the end of 2013 and Instagram was what, like two years old then? It was pretty wild, wild west when it came to Instagram. It was my friend's six-month-old e-commerce company. That was my first client. Of course, Instagram for an e-commerce uh, company is a perfect fit. Visual platform, visual products, boom. So he hired me and I was already familiar with Facebook and Twitter based on my day job, but I wasn't doing anything on Instagram. I just knew that I had the smarts and the background when it came to creative writing and just marketing in general that I could figure it out. So I did take a leap of faith on myself to take on that first client I think he was at out about 10,000-ish, maybe 12,000 followers when I took, took on that client account. And within six months, we hit 100,000 followers. Again, this was the wild, wild west before Instagram was, you know, is what it is today. 
but we really focused on influencer marketing. So before it was so buzzy, I was reaching out to a lot of teens who grew really quickly on the platform, sending them free clothing and asking them to model the clothing on Instagram. That was a big part of my job. So that was the focus initially. And then as I took on more clients in different um, niches and industries, I just had to learn different tactics that would get them in front of their target buyer. Because that's really why companies invest in social media marketing, right? I think for the most part, anyway, they're not looking for you know, fame and followers just for the sake of it. They're looking for more traffic and more sales. So I really learned e-commerce, Instagram marketing through my clients in the first couple of years. Then I launched my agency. I had to. I then created an Instagram account for my agency's account. I then had to figure out, okay, this is now a service-based business. How do I, who do I want following me? And how do I get them over to my website? And that account was also, it's at Canopy Content. If you want to check it out, it's still running. That account was also proof of my portfolio. Like, hey, I can grow an account for you. So that was my experience growing a service-based account for my own business. And then when it came to my personal brand, um, it was a bit of a whole different beast, you know, because I'm not sourcing out stock photography. I'm not reposting other people's stuff. I was basically going through my content, which was my travel photos, because I'd been traveling for a couple of years. And I looked at how to make this a cohesive story. Yes, I'm posting travel pictures. I wasn't trying to become a travel influencer. I didn't want you know, hotels and brands to be sending me around the world. I just wanted to run my business and travel on my terms. Um, so I really had to hone in on what that, what that personal brand story was that I was putting out there. And I'm not a naturally extroverted person. I don't, I'm not drawn to the camera, like get me in front of it. I prefer to be behind the scenes and do my own thing. So that was the biggest challenge was just figuring out what aspects of my life was I going to put out there to attract that target person? And a lot of it was, um, some of it was just stumbling into what was working not really knowing the bigger picture. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of trial and error to grow all those different types of accounts. So going back to the pre-launch and the launch of your course, it sounds like you did, you did pretty much everything the right way and you were rewarded for that. And it sounds like it's gone really, 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 really well. How much of that do you attribute to hiring a coach? That's a great question. So the first coach that I hired, she really helped me launch that personal brand, which is now elisedharma.com. She helped me, you know, get comfortable doing webinars and online teaching. But that phase with her was really about um, understanding who my audience was, why they were following me, and what I could offer. So we completed our coaching um, contract or agreement by the time it came to me creating a course. I knew I wanted to create a course by the end of our time. We just didn't have enough time to do it. So I am the type of person who loves accountability, hence my questions to you about accountability. Um, And I really floundered on my own for a good couple months. Like when we were done our agreement, um, I in theory knew what I had to do, but without that accountability in place, I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed with how do I take this information that is it common knowledge? Is it not? How do I take it out of my brain and put it into lessons and modules? And again, with the piano teaching experience, that was really helpful in being able to 
take something and simplify it so someone could implement it. But the big picture of the course, I was stuck on that for a really long time. What I ended up doing was hiring a project manager who had experienced hundreds of course launches with clients. And they gave me the framework. Um, I think we used Asana or Trello. They gave me the framework and the deadlines of all the stuff that I needed to deliver, like you know, the course outline, the the pre-launch stuff, the emails, the graphics, that's what got me over the edge to get actually get it done. So that's the type of person I am. I need the accountability. And that usually means I need to hire someone out who's going to keep me accountable. So it sounds like you, you, you may have a course in your future on hiring coaches. Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people know that they need some accountability or a coach or direction, but it's hard to find that right fit. It sounds like multiple at multiple points along the way, you found that, per, that person that was just the right fit who you needed at the time. How do you do that? I think I was just lucky. And I do think that, you know, looking back, I didn't even, I didn't even do my research 100% as I should have with some of those hires. Um, when it came to my very first coaching hire, I was just super excited to like take my business to the next level. I'd never invested into a coach that much. I think I was paying a thousand dollars a month. I'd never invested into my business that much at that scale, but I knew there was this momentum. So I was just excited to work with someone who would take me to that next level. This particular coach, she specialized in getting my client business booked out which is not what I wanted. So it wasn't like a perfect fit, but her personality, the way we work together, that was where the fit was. And that's what I needed. So next time I would probably do a little bit more research into, yes, find the personality fit, find the working relationship fit, but make sure that the finish line that that coach is at, make sure that's the finish line you want to get to. If my goal was to get my agency business bigger and bigger with more clients, she was the perfect coach. At the end of the day, my goal was to scale through a course. So um, that's where I was a little bit off with that one. But I was still, I was still, you know, like I said, 80%, 80% was a, was my, uh, was, was the grade I'd give myself for that one. So the next thing I want to ask you is for a little bit of Instagram strategy. And this is a question I've had for a while. It's like, I like, I don't sell a product that's physical, right? Uh So I can't just take a, I'm not like an artist that's making paintings or anything like that. I can't just take a picture of that and post it on Instagram for somebody that's selling an online course. And let's take a specific example, an online piano course. How would I use it? Instagram? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is video. Like you, I don't know how the other day, the other day, my boyfriend was on his phone watching something and this music, this piano music comes blaring through And he's watching this video that went viral of a pizza boy, a pizza delivery boy who was delivering a pizza said, oh, hey, that's a really nice piano. They invited him in and he started playing a piece from Beethoven and someone filmed it and put it on the internet and it went viral. So um, I think for something like your skill, you could really try and experiment with video quite a bit to see how that does on a platform. I don't actually know. I've never never done that. So it'd be really cool to experience, but that would make the most sense for me because you are so audio based. Um, use those features within Instagram to promote that, that skill that you have. I mean, a picture of you or piano or quote that feels a little flat to me based on what you could, could offer. So 
You can also like IGTV came out not too long ago and that, I don't know if you do any tip videos or how to's or how to get started, but if you were to create any free content, like first step you need to know to get yourself warmed up for piano, do like a 30 sec, 30 or 60 second video. Um, you could do a square format for your feed. You could do a vertical format for your IGTV. Um, you could do a horizontal format for YouTube, your Facebook. So you're really filming it once and exporting out, it out in multiple ways and getting across multiple platforms. So short answer is video. Okay, cool. So you know, YouTube has been a huge source of traffic in my business because video is so strong. And for example, I've got a video called Learn Piano in Four Minutes. And that's it's very, very popular. Um, I know that with Instagram, there are video limits, uh, length limits. That's pre IGTV. I know that's kind of a different thing. Uh, but if I'm just talking about the regular Instagram, let's say I created a video that was like learn Instagram in 30 seconds, or sorry, learn piano in 30 seconds. Um, is that what the limit is or is it 60 seconds? You can do 60 for your feet. Boom. All right. So learn piano in one minute. It's going to be the, the, the new hit Instagram post. But like, mm-hmm. if I do that, how do I get people to find it? Right now, there's a couple ways. Hashtags are obviously important, or maybe they're not obviously important, but hashtags have been the key for people to be found. They are the uh, the search engine optimization of Instagram. There's not many ways to be found organically on Instagram, but hashtags have been the way for many, many years. And there's also, I mean, Instagram is building more and more features to have you get um, discovered organically. If your post within an hour of being posted generates a lot of views, comments, likes that tells Instagram, Oh, this is a really good post to share. Not, not even just with the people who are following this account, but let's get this onto the explore page. And the explore page is curated for each individual based on their actions within the app. So someone who doesn't know about you, who has a history of watching a piano video online or music online, Um, Instagram will likely show them that in their discover feed because that's in line with their interests. So that's how you would get discovered outside of hashtags by people who aren't currently following you. It's really to get that fast engagement and, you know, people complain, oh, the algorithm is making it harder to be found, to be seen. Instagram, yes, it's putting, putting the pressure on a little bit for creators to create good content. We don't need more of the same or more subpar content. Um, But if you can create good content, whatever that definition is of for you, that your followers resonate with, the platform will reward you. It will get your content in front of people that that don't know who you are. Uh, Thank you so much for the tips. I think, you know, a lot of people with online courses, you know, like I said, we don't have like these tangible products. It's not true e-commerce because it's a digital product. So a lot of people wonder about that. So thank Mm -hmm. you for the, uh, for the advice. Hopefully people can apply that to not just piano. So back to Insta Growth Boss, uh, your course, your first course and where it kind of stands today. Uh, I was, I was on your website and it looked like you're trying to get people to register for basically a webinar to, to sell that course. Is that what the funnel is? Yes. So I told you about how the course was created. Um, after I created it, I 
did what I learned you're not supposed to do after the fact. I switched gears. I switched focus. I kind of put the, the, the course on the shelf for some reason. And I decided I needed another course for my repertoire. So I decided to create freelance biz in a box. And um, that became my next focus for the next couple of months. And by the fall, I had two courses, but if I wasn't doing a live class, a live webinar, they weren't being sold. You know, very rarely was someone just stumbling upon the sales page and buying. So for the rest of last year, 2017, I did a couple live classes every now and then. I think I did a flash sale around Black Friday, and that's how I was generating sales. It wasn't until the beginning of 2018 where I thought, I think I need a better way. Like the live launches are great. It's a great spike in revenue, but I wanted more consistent revenue versus having to throw all my energy into a live launch for like a good two week period because you have the promotion period and then you have the actual live class and then the, the following the follow-up sequence. You know, I was just like a stress case every time. And um, I wanted some consistency. So that's when I turned to funnels and um, auto. It's basically an auto webinar funnel that since the beginning of this year, I've been working on constantly tweaking. It's never done, done. Um, But that's been the focus for this year is can I run this webinar, not at live times, but at a time that works for the viewer to view on their term? And lead them through steps, lead them through to the offer page and will they buy? So that's been the focus for this year. And what software are you using to execute that? It's all ClickFunnels. Really? Yeah, why are you surprised? Well, I know that ClickFunnels integrates with things like EverWebinar and I think that's probably what people choose Ah. more often. Interesting. Um, the, just because there are certain features, but I went through your funnel and it was executed very, very well. And that's why I'm surprised that it was just ClickFunnels. Yeah, I think ClickFunnels has a reputation of not being super pretty from a design perspective or the pages feel clunky. That was my opinion of it. I mean, I signed up for ClickFunnels with my very first business coach. So it's been two years since I've been with the program. And um I think I was using it just for an opt-in landing page for a good year. So I wasn't even running funnels with it. And then it was this year where I'm like, no, everyone keeps telling me the software is so powerful. I'm going to use it now. And so I really did focus quite a bit on the design of the pages so that nothing did feel clunky. Um, Everything was branded on brand. That's me though. I'm very detail oriented. A lot of people will just like get the page out and make it work. Um, because pretty doesn't necessarily mean that it converts. Sometimes ugly pages convert better. So you got to test it, which ClickFunnels has built in, the A-B testing functionality. But yeah, it's all through ClickFunnels. I I have used Webinar Jam before. I've used that to run a live webinar before. Um, And I think EverWebinar is their auto version. Um, But... Like I said, I've been using ClickFunnels for a couple of years and it was this year where I thought, nope, I'm going to actually use this program well, which is what it was designed for. Well, the, you know, the people listening to this podcast know that I am a huge fan of ClickFunnels myself and I build a lot of things at ClickFunnels. I was surprised to hear you say that this was all ClickFunnels, not from a design perspective, because 
you can make really nice designs in ClickFunnels. It's, it's, it's up to you. You've got to know what you're doing. It's more of just the features because normally with the webinar, even if it's ever, ever green, you click and you select a date and time you want to quote unquote attend. And right. I just clicked on your free masterclass and basically it's telling me right off the bat, the next one's starting today at 4.40 p.m. Yeah, are you ready for it? <laughs> I've, well, I've already watched part of it because I want to grow my Instagram audience. Um, I probably need to buy your full course. But how, like, why did you go this route versus what I see more often? And that's being able to select a day and a time you want to attend. Oh, that's a good question. I don't know if I considered that as an option. That was just the functionality that was offered through ClickFunnels. Bingo. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, this is working for yeah. people. I think ClickFunnels was running, like you can start it at every hour, uh, at the top of every hour. I, I have some coding going on, on on my page so that it starts every 10 minutes, I believe. Some people will do it like every four minutes, every like totally random um, times. Um, and, and nowhere does it say like catch my live class because it's not live. It is a presentation. But the from what I understand... There is some psychology to it where when people land on the page, they're not going to bounce because, oh, this is starting in five minutes. Yeah, sure. Like I'll watch. And when you do sign up for the webinar, it actually takes you to, it is a thank you confirmation page, but it's actually a countdown page. So if, if you're looking at it right now and it's still five minutes to start, even if you register right now, when you get to the countdown, it's going to be the same countdown, right? So it's still going to start in five minutes. And then when it's time, it will just reroute, it will auto reroute, auto route to the watch page. So if you keep that window open in five minutes, it's just going to start on its own. So that's just the design of that funnel and it's worked for me. So I haven't played around with that too, too much. That's really interesting. I'm fascinated by this because it is, it is simpler than what I've seen before. It's a very yeah. simpler way to do it, simple way to do it. And I know that, you know, one of the benefits of an evergreen webinar is that when people are most interested, which is when they're browsing their site, is when they're most likely to actually watch the webinar. So what you can do in a tool like Ever Webinar is you can say, okay, I want the webinar times to be like 11 a.m. and 7 p.m. every day, plus like every 10 minutes, you know? Mm -hmm. So if somebody, so if I were to go on it right now, then I could register for tonight at 7, tomorrow at 11, mm -hmm. or today still at 440. But that's extra steps. And you've got a very, very simple funnel here that apparently is working really well. Yeah, no complaints. Awesome. So you could have the best funnel in the world, and maybe you do. But if nobody ever gets to your site and nobody ever sees your funnel, uh, you're not going to be successful. How are you generating traffic? Yes, that is the other half, the other major component of having a funnel. And initially when I launched it, I think I just sent it out to my warm audience. I just needed people to go through it and test it, make sure the functionality was there. Um, so I think I emailed it and mentioned it on my Instagram feed and that sort of thing. But pretty soon after I started investing into Facebook ads and working on that strategy. So once the funnel was up and tested... I created some ads and I ran them to my warm audience and lookalike audiences as well. And, you know, I started conservative with ad sets. I don't know how much you go deep into Facebook ads, but my brief strategy was I started pretty low with my ad sets, maybe like 10 bucks an ad set. And I was just testing a bunch of them. And then when registration conversions were like oh, 78 cents at one point, I was like, amazing. I was told that 
with that ad set, once it's kind of been optimized, don't just give it a huge chunk of money. Like you kind of have to slowly increase it. So every couple of days I'd add, I'd increase it by $5. So every, I had two major campaigns running by March and throughout March, I just kept increasing the ad sets that were converting, not just registrations, but the the purchases as well. And by April, I was spending a thousand dollars a day on ads, um, thousand Canadian dollars, um, and so that's you like know, two that, U.S. dollars. A thousand Canadian? Um, that would be about seven hundred U.S. Just kidding. Just giving a Canadian a hard time. <laughs> I know, poor Canada. Um, well, it's actually not not at all. Anyway, another conversation. Um, yeah. So by April, I was up to a thousand dollars a day. But then I also hit my highest revenue month of of the year. That was in April. Um, And it was great. It was a cool number to hit. But I publish income reports on my blog. So you can read the April report if you're really curious. It's kind of my diary, my business diary, what happened. Are you looking it up right now? Yes. (laughs) Um, But if you read the report, you'll see, you know, even though I hit... It was fifty thousand in revenue that month. I spent a good twenty five thousand on ads, right? And it's not like oh, fifty percent expenses. No, I have a lot more expenses in my business. So at the end of the day, the actual profit that was left was was almost comparable to other months where I had a lower um, revenue and lower expenses. So I've kind of pulled back on that amount of ad spend because I wasn't really sure I saw the point. Like, yes, I can spend more money. But if I'm still taking home the same profit margin, that's, yeah, it didn't didn't make sense. I'd rather have a healthier profit margin if I'm going to spend more money. Um, So the last couple of months have been experimental. Um, I have worked with a couple ads managers as well to try to um, offload that job to someone who knows it as an expert more than I do. I'm working with someone right now who's helping to expand my ad strategy beyond Facebook. So we're looking at Um, YouTube ads and Google and Gmail. And those I'm really curious about because that's when someone's actually searching for Instagram tips, right? Facebook is like, you get in front of someone, hey, 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 check this out. And you're hoping that they're interested in it. Whereas, you know, with search-based ads, I don't know. We'll see. I'm really curious about that one. That's that's really interesting. I, I've I've turned off all my Facebook ads because it's I, I've I've had a challenge with in, interruptive marketing because the people aren't actually searching for what I have to offer. You have to you have to really know what you're doing. But I have had a lot of success with uh, Google AdWords and Bing ads because you're trying to get in front of the people that are actually searching for something that you know how to solve. Yeah. So that's uh, that's cool that you're thinking about that. And it's also in- interesting hearing you talking about revenue versus profit. Cause it's, we really, we really like to talk about our revenue, you know, mm-hmm. 50K month, 30K month or whatever. But like some people could be saying that and then actually losing money. You know, if you're spending more than that, I actually found myself in a position like that. Not that I was losing money, but about a year ago, I was like, okay, I'm up to like 30K a month, but I was spending like 23. So, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't bringing in at the end of the day as much as I wanted to. And so I had to, um, it was kind of a, a shot to my pride a little bit, but I had to spend far less and get down to like eight or 10 expenses and then only make 18 or 20 in revenue, but then bump it up. And now, now you know, back to over 30K, but only spending like 12 or 13, it's a much mm-hmm. better place to be. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we like to focus on revenue so much more than profit? 
flashy numbers, looks so sexy from the outside. You and I are, are in the online business space. I mean, how many ads do we see of people touting their seven figure, six figure launch, whatever? I'm, I, it so does not resonate with me that, that um, type of language. I'm more of a tell me the real deal. Like that's my personality. That's what I share with my followers on Instagram. That's why I share income reports is because I got sick of that BS. And, you know, I I went to about five or six business conferences this year. I invested heavily in events and there's a lot of that on stage uh, with people that you meet, people talking about their success. But then sometimes you hear that, Yes, they they have those those big revenue numbers, but they didn't take home anything. And I just think, what's the point? What's the point? And so, I'm yes, I teach Instagram marketing, but I also coach others on starting their own freelance business. I help them start their own business. I feel it's my responsibility to tell them what they're really in for because people are not making minor life changes here. They're quitting their jobs. They're going all in on themselves. I don't want them to think that they're buying into some fairyland of money and ease and happiness and success. That's part of it. But with the ups, there are downs. And I like to, I like to be real about those downs and, and let people know. So yeah, I, I, I still find income reports challenging to write. It still feels very like you're putting yourself out there naked when it comes to your money um, in a business. But I think not enough people are talking about it. Not enough people are sharing the real deal. And um, it's really important if, if you're someone like myself, where you're helping other people get into this world, like they deserve the truth. Just a couple more questions for you here, Elise. Um, next one would be some advice. Advice for people that are just getting started. They want to create an online course on around whatever it is that they know something about. What advice do you have for that person? If you're starting from absolute scratch, I would say build your community first. Um, This is purely based off of my experience. So it might not be the end all be all. But what, what worked for me was I built up my community at first through Instagram. And then I brought them to a private Facebook group. And that was super key for me to talk to people. Ask them, why are you following me? What are you interested in? Uh, to learn from me. I genuinely didn't know. And sometimes a lot of people, when they are the creator types, they have an idea for something and they're just super excited about creating it, but they haven't yet validated it that they are in front of the people who will pay for that. Right. So I spent a good couple months validating um, who my target person was, what they wanted um, and what I could most offer them. That was the highest value. And it did take me a little bit longer to create the course than I hoped, right? I was off by about six months. Um, But sometimes you set set these expectations for yourself and things just work out the way they're supposed to. I did need that time to do a couple webinars where no one bought anything, um, you know, to do free challenges where I gave a ton of information away. But all those experiences were super eye-opening to show me that people liked this information and it wasn't common knowledge to them and it was something that they were willing to, to pay for. Um, and I think that's why in my very first launch, I, I did five figures. I think it was 10 or 12 K in revenue. And so I was literally being paid to make the course and 
I highly recommend that route. <laughs> awesome. So last one for you. I think just about everybody listening to this could use help with Instagram. And so I know you've got the, the, the masterclass, which is basically your evergreen webinar that we talked about. I'm sure it's jam packed with, um, with good information other than just getting people to buy your course. And I did watch the first part of it and it looked like it was going in some good direction. So if you could just let people know where they can uh, find that and, and just a few things they could expect to learn from it. Yeah, sure. You can watch the free masterclass at instagrowthboss.com or you can just head to elisedarma.com. It'll be there as well. And in that class, I teach three ways to gain a thousand Instagram followers in 30 days. And it's interesting. Someone just commented on my ad right before this, um, right before meeting you. And they said, why is it important to have a thousand Instagram followers? And no one has ever asked me that before. (laughs) And my response was, well, it makes me think of the concept of a thousand true fans. Um, there's ugh, who's the person who said it? I literally it's like Brian, somebody, someone with a K. I can't remember, but it's a concept that's been around for like at least ten years. And the concept is is that you don't need millions of people to be a successful creator. You need a thousand people who care about what you have to say. And even if they don't all buy, you can still have a very successful business if a hundred people buy. Depends on what you're selling, of course. So that was my answer as to why a thousand followers matter because you don't need a huge amount of followers to grow your business, grow your brand, grow your influence. It's really about quality over quantity. So when it comes to um, Instagram tip that's beyond the class, the class is very much focused on strategies that you can implement into your account to grow and hit a thousand more followers. But I'm assuming your audience is... If they're online course creators, I'm assuming a fair amount of people are personal brands like, like me, like they're putting their personal selves out there. So when it comes to your Instagram strategy, a lot of times course creators or people who sell anything, they want to sell like a lot on their feed. They want to be very promotional and talk about what they have to offer. But Instagram is really a place to keep it real. Um, It's really a place to share your behind the scenes, to share your, uh, real thoughts. Um, I also recommend to business owners when you're looking at your feed, follow the 80, 20 rule, 80% of your posts or four out of five posts, keep them high value for your follower and value. I define in three ways. You can entertain people, you can teach people, or you can inspire people. Typically most Instagram accounts will share value in those three ways. Keep 80% of your posts valuable to someone and then save 20% for your promotions and whatnot, whatever you've got going on. Um, so that's how I like to keep the balance. And then Instagram stories, it's a gold mine for connecting with your audience to get those 1,000 true fans. You, you might even have 5,000 people follow you. But you really just need 1,000 people who care about what you have to say. And Instagram stories is a brilliant way to be raw, be real, share the behind the scenes, share the journey. People want to follow your hero's journey. Don't be afraid to share it as you're going through it. It's funny, the few times where I've shared super vulnerable stuff that I wouldn't share in an online setting, um, things about my own insecurities, my past, every time I've shared them, it's it's been eye-opening. The DMs, the comments, the reactions from people, and they are just so thankful for something that's real. They're craving it. 
And if you're worried about standing out in your industry and standing out in the crowd, try, try being super honest and super real and see how your audience responds. Elise, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. That is a wrap for episode 61. You can find all the detailed show notes and links from the discussion with Elise by going to theonlinecourseguy.com slash 61. And if you're ready to create your own online course or take your existing online course to the next level, then you're going to want to check out my free online course workshop by heading to theonlinecourseguy.com. You're going to learn a ton in that workshop, including the only three things you need to be doing to have a profitable online course. And stay tuned for the next episode of the Online Course Guy podcast coming your way real soon.